And welcome back to another episode of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host for today's show, Matt Brown. I'm the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I am joined today by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. Well, normally, you know, we've been doing, you know, for the last 102 episodes or whatever, you were getting these on a regularly uh, predictable schedule, but we have so much preview content right now that rather than waiting and trying to game it out for Wednesdays and Fridays, we're just we're just firing this off, baby, because we have not talked actual football as much as maybe we'd like, and we haven't talked uh, in the weeds about some of the administrative and structural and big picture things with folks that follow individual brands and conferences at a level that we don't. So uh, today we're happy to kick off that series with uh, an expert who knows your neck of the woods very well, Brian. Yeah, thrilled to. Uh, I ran into Shehan Jaraja at uh, Pac-12 Media Days, and uh, he was somebody of Big 12 Media Days, and uh, he's uh, he's from that neck of the woods, uh, my my hometown as well. Uh, there in the Dallas Fort Worth area, so uh, it, it's good to catch up with him and really talk some ball because uh, you're you're right. I mean, as much as we're going to these media days, as much as we're uh, trying to kind of turn our attention over to the season that will be here in just a couple of weeks, um, you know, it, it's kind of difficult because there's you know an NCAA board meeting or there's something in NIL or there's something you know kind of crazy going on uh, you know on the coaching market or with players. It, it just it does seem like everything off the field has uh, kind of dominated everything this off season. But it is it is upon us. It is the season is. A about here and I, I can't wait especially talking to a, a league in the big 12 that i think maybe is the, one of the more intriguing ones i i, I do t- tend to say this the last couple of years it does feel like from one to ten there's there's you know that that capability of anybody beating anybody and, and we'll kind of get into this as, as to why that is uh, with Sheehan. but i mean it, it just is a very unique uh, opportunity to where you can turn on a big 12 game pretty much every week and be surprised at the result yeah i mean there's some separation at the bottom kansas is getting better but they're still well, maybe not horrifically you know 128th in the country bad they're probably still going to be bad but everyone else you're right. There's a there's a ton of parity. There's a ton of parity in recruiting. There's a ton of parity in uh, in budgets and access, which then means that if you want to get a leg up, you actually have to recruit roster. You have to uh, analyze your rosters correctly. You have to develop them. You have to actually build a culture and do something interesting schematically. Um, I'm excited to talk to Sean. Uh, Sean. We've 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 uh, we've had him before as for our Texas explainer, one of our very early episodes. He's helped talk about this league here before and what is a particularly interesting spot on the field, which is. Not the Big 12 that you might remember three or four years ago. This is a more Big 10-ish Big 12. Uh, and also what's going on off the field. Let's go bring him in right now. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Brian and I, have we've joked about this on the air. We've talked about it a lot off the air and in text messages. Even though we've built a company and a bunch of brands that talk about off the field stuff virtually exclusively, I'm excited to talk a little bit of actual football. We've got to talk some other non-football stuff here too, but I'm excited to talk some football with somebody who actually knows much more what they're talking about than I do. Um, I, want to, I want to start here by uh, asking maybe a big open-ended question before we get into the weeds about who's realigning where and, and what's happening with rosters and everything. Who do you think is the most interesting team in the Big 12 heading into this season? Not the best team necessarily, not the team that's going to create the most memes, but the team that like you as a reporter, as a fan of football are most interested to follow, uh, follow along with. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of different directions to go here, but I'm going to go right to the top. I'm going to go with Oklahoma. Uh, You know, this is the first time since 1998 since they've made an external hire in this program, right? It's been Bob Stoops, then it was handed right off to Lincoln Riley. And uh, and look, if if it looks like Oklahoma fans weren't ready for a hire in the the social media era, it's because they weren't. It's never (laughs) happened before. And so I I think that uh, Brent Venables, of course, has a lot of familiarity with the program. Uh, He was there for a long time under Bob Stoops, but this is a very different program than the one that he left in 2011. So I, I think that he has a lot of great ideas. He's made some fantastic hires. I think Jeff Levy is somebody who obviously uh, did some great work over at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, I, I think that Ted Roof is somebody who's going to help him out. And he also has guys like Todd Bates coming on the defensive line, who was really a recruiting guru for them. But when it comes to actual football, right, I mean, their roster looks completely different than it did last year. I think that he said 40% of the players on Oklahoma's roster did not have an Oklahoma jersey last year. So it's a completely new team. It's a completely new roster. It's a completely new philosophy in a lot of ways. And we're used to this just being an 11-2 and machine, right? Playoff bound, Big 12 championships. I don't know what that looks like in a non-Lincoln Riley age. So I, I think for them, I'm going to be curious how quickly it all comes together. They have a great quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, but he's never played in a league that's built to defend him the way that the Big 12 is going to be able to. Obviously, defensively, he's a, he's a known commodity in terms of building st- standout defenses, but this isn't Clemson's defensive line he's stepping into. So this could go a whole lot of different directions, and I'm kind of curious to see which uh, which way it kind of ends up. It's a it's a really fascinating point because I'm trying to remember, and of course the internet and fatherhood has ruined my perception of time, but my understanding is that this is an Oklahoma team that's not built to win the same way as the Oklahoma teams that fans have come to enjoy during not just the Lincoln-Riley era, but a lot of the Bob Stoops era where it was really air raidy. And they were going to have great wide receivers, and they were still going to be physical, but they won primarily with offense. And uh, both between how, uh, how the philosophy that you're recruiting now and some of the people that you're bringing in, is it more likely that we're going to see Oklahoma in more 49-43 kind of games? Or is this a team that's going to be able to win, you know, 21-14 to 14 kind of games? It's hard to say right now. So the thing that I'll say is that they have a lot of talent uh, at the skill positions, right? But like, it's not Oklahoma usual talent. Yeah. It's not these these years where they have, you know, three or four future NFL wide receivers. Marvin Mims is a star. He, he's sort of the name that you should not receiver. But I don't love their guys at tight end and H-back the way that I have uh, before. Braden Willis is a guy, but, you know, losing Austin Stogner, I think is a big deal. Uh, they, they lose Jaden Hazelwood to the transfer portal. Yeah. So like Theo Weiss is back after missing a lot of last year with an injury, but... He's not the most proven of commodities. So I think that they're going to want to slow things down at a certain point. I I think that they're going to try to play a little bit more physical. I think that they're going to play a little bit more protectively of their defense. But the one thing that I'll say is that, you know, Jeff Lebby's offenses at Ole Miss, at UCF, and obviously during his time at Baylor are not ones that slow down necessarily. Right. So I'm going to be, I think it's going to be a little bit of an internal battle, especially if Dylan Gabriel struggles a little bit early against some of the, the good teams that they play early what direction they kind of take this. Do they tempo it up to try to give him a few more shots down the field or do they slow it down? I think that that's a a huge existential question for them. 
It's it's interesting you mentioned Baylor there because I I think they're obviously reigning champions in the, in the league. I think they kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people last year, but it, it feels like there, there's a big imprint from Baylor on, on the rest of the league. You, you look at even the NCAA Board of Governors; they, they recently named uh, Baylor's president as as their new chair. Um, you you have some long term contracts in place for their AD for their head coach uh, after after a lot of rumors about maybe they were they were going to take some other jobs this offseason. Is it kind of strange to see Baylor kind of just being solidified, not only at the, at the top of the league, but, um, you know, really kind of having that target on their back now? No, and I mean, you mentioned it when uh, when the NCAA president uh, resigned, there were talk that Linda Livingstone could be in consideration for that. When uh, Bob Bowlesby uh, retired, there was talk that Mac Rhodes could be in consideration for that. And obviously that doesn't get into all of the talk uh, about Dave Aranda last year. So it, it definitely is something, right? I, I think that we were very curious in this post-Texas and Oklahoma Big 12 world of what is this job, right? Is this sort of scene as a stepping stone type job? And, and I'm not just talking Baylor, I'm talking Big 12 jobs in general yeah. and, and Pac-12 and ACC, all these jobs. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that they've done a really good job of keeping their coaches away from people who would potentially want them. I, I, and I do think that part of it is fit, right? Part, a big part of it is, yeah. I think that Dave Aranda is very happy being where he is, not having to answer some of the questions he'd have to answer at an SEC school, not having to serve some of the people he'd have to do at some of these places. But, uh, you know, still, regardless of the reasons, you know, Baylor being able to keep uh, coaches and administrators like what they've got, I think, is a huge deal for them. And, you know, it, it is so interesting, right? There isn't necessarily a front and, you know, a forefront power player, I guess you'd say, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the league. There are going to be a lot of schools that I think will fight for that right. But it is kind of interesting in this sort of power vacuum that uh, that with their success, not just on the football field, but on the basketball court as well, that Baylor's kind of stood up uh, from a leadership perspective, too. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that happens when you have a school like UH come in, when you have UCF come in, who obviously, you know, a lot of big personalities over there. Cincinnati obviously has quite a history. BYU is a very proud program. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see how those dynamics go, not just on the on the field, but in the boardroom. But right now, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of respect across the sport right now for what Baylor's been able to build. And, and obviously, look, I, I graduated from there in 2016. I, I know how, uh, you know, how that place was left back then. So I think it's a real testament to the leadership over there that they've been able to kind of regain that trust. And, and, and very quickly. Yeah. And on the field, it's pretty interesting too with, with the Bears because uh, they made the big decision about quarterback very early in the in the process, you know, and and, and making that change. Uh, that they, they've got you know kind of all American type caliber uh, players on defense, you know, like Dylan Doyle uh, coming back. I, I mean, this does seem like they are primed to um, kind of make another run at at the title again this year, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that it's going to look pretty different than it does last year, but I think that it's going to be just as strong potentially, right? Last year, uh, defensively, it was really safety driven. It was really linebacker driven. I think this year it's going to be very front seven driven. Uh, Baylor has, hmm. you know, one of, I think, the top five defensive lines in all of college football coming back. Every contributor on the two deep is back. And they also added a transfer in Tulsa's Jackson player, who was an all AAC selection as well. So he's going to come in. I think that they're going to be dominant on that side of the ball they're going to rotate I think a lot more than what they've done in the past 
You mentioned Dylan Doyle coming back. Uh, another guy uh, that they brought to Big 12 Media Days was Bryson Jackson, who's a sixth-year senior for them uh, at linebacker, and I think he answers a lot of questions for them as well. You know, secondary is, is a place where I think they have a few more questions on defense, but you kind of trust their development and identification on that side of the ball uh, when it comes to that position. And offensively, same sort of deal. Last year, they were a pounded-out running team with Gary Bohannon, a running quarterback, and Abram Smith, one of the most physical uh, running backs in the country. Now I think that they're going to be a little more pass oriented. They, they, like you mentioned, they bring in Blake Shapin, uh, who, who showed some of what he's got in the first half of that Oklahoma State Big 12 title game. They're really young at receiver. That's the one thing that you have to worry about. But I think that they have a lot of talent there. You know, Armani Winfield is somebody who came in in this past recruiting class who I think could contribute right away. And uh, and they, I think they also have arguably the best offensive line in the Big 12. So. Trenches are going to need to carry the day, I think, for them to start out, but it's going to give them a lot of leeway, especially, you know, they play BYU in week two, which is going to, I think, be a fascinating game for a lot of reasons. And it's going to decide whether they can kind of be in that playoff conversation. But, you know, the fact that their toughest game early is an out-of-conference game, I think still sets them up really nicely to be able to contend for the Big 12 title game. It's funny. I, I, I saw the stat. I, I can't remember where I read it, but I want to say BYU is scheduled to play against three different former Baylor starting quarterbacks this year because they've got it's like South Florida on the schedule and I think somebody else near the back end like as an independent. Yeah, it, it must be it must be Liberty because Charlie Brewer is going to start. That's, that's right. Yeah, Liberty, Liberty there at the back end. Um, you raised... I, I, and it's a really interesting point that I've been trying to get my arms around a second ago with this idea of there being a, a vacuum post-Texas and post-Oklahoma on a couple of different fronts. And, you know, one thing that Brian and I have, have noticed in doing this for a while is that sometimes the most influential administrator voices or even the most influential coaching voices are not always, they're often, but not always the most powerful programs on the field. Um, clearly, the administration at Baylor has emerged not just as leaders within the Big 12, but leaders within college athletics nationally. But as this league is trying to find its new identity and reconfigure anything, are there, are there, is there other school leadership that's really taken a step up in trying to shape what this conference is or, or to advocate for themselves? Is that something that's coming from tech? Is that something that's coming from Oklahoma State? Or is it a little bit of a wait and see moment? Well, one thing that I will mention, because I, I definitely tried to answer some of these questions when I got to talk to some folks at Big 12 Media Days. Uh, you know, Brett Yormark has already stepped in and and really people seem very aligned behind him in the conference. It seems like people are willing to let him kind of do his job. There's not sort of people in his ear pulling him one way or another. Um, and I heard that multiple places, you yeah. know, so I think it's a credit to, to the schools that are there that they're pretty united right now. I think that there's not necessarily a faction forming at this point. It's easy to say now, right, everybody's getting ready to kick Texas. Oklahoma out everybody has the common enemy so you know it, things will probably change <laughs> but at this moment I, I think Brett Yormark really does have kind of a the, he's kind of at the front of the league right now I think certainly you have to look at Texas Tech president Lawrence Skubinek and Kirby Hokut over there those are two very well respected administrators even though like you mentioned obviously uh, they're, they're not necessarily the on-field successes in the same way uh, and, and yeah I think that uh, that Oklahoma State obviously has a very loud voice in the room um, just because of the success that they've had. And they're one of the biggest markets, one of the biggest brands left in the Big 12. 
you know, if I'm if I'm thinking of some other folks who who uh, are also well respected, you know, Shane Lyons over at West Virginia, I think as an individual is very well respected. Though obviously, I, I don't think that the conference is going to fall necessarily behind West Virginia. But yeah. there's a lot of really good athletic directors in the room. I think, especially relative to the, I, I guess you could say the the size and quality of brands of the Big Twelve teams. I think that they're overrepresented in terms of good athletic leadership. And talking to people, um, you know, I talked to Linda Livingstone at, at Media Days. You know, she was kind of like that's part of why we felt so comfortable going outside of college athletics for leadership was because we feel like we have a tremendous group of athletic directors and and obviously everybody believes that but i do think that that's generally true in the big 12. that is a good point i mean part of what made kevin warren i think struggle out of the gates a little bit with the big 10 was that he was also coming into an era where there was a ton of attrition within athletic directors and and more importantly, university presidents. The fact that you have a little bit more stability on that front with a few folks that are, uh, have been in, know know the other schools and know the industry well enough. I can can see why that would give a president a little bit more leeway. Um, On the, the power vacuum front, and we can talk about Texas in a minute, right? We can we can get to all those other memes, but one of the other things that's, I think exciting to me about this league, just as a football fan, is that especially when you look at what the Big 12 is going to look like in a couple of years, there's not a, hu- a ton of gigantic structural advantages between team number three and team number nine. They're recruiting similar calibers of athletes. They have budgets that are not enormously dissimilar. And so really, you know, you actually have to d- develop and find scheme and outthink people because you can't just throw four stars and money at them. Looking at this year, I know that there's a couple. There's there's analysts in this league that think pretty highly about Oklahoma State. I've heard some uh, some excitement around the Kansas State program this year. Like outside of Baylor, that's your preseason number one, and outside of the two schools with all the money, who else are you are you excited about? Is there anybody that you think on paper separates themselves a little bit from the rest of the not Kansas division? So Oklahoma State definitely going to still be in the conversation after making the Big 12 title game last year. Uh, they've got a great defense coming back, even though they lost some key pieces. But I, I really will focus in on that other team that you mentioned, Kansas State. I, I think that they are fascinating this year. In my opinion, they have the best offensive and defensive player returning in the entire league in Deuce Vaughn on offense and Felix Anaduke Azoma on the defensive side of the ball, which like for Kansas State, that, that never happens, right? Like that's yeah. crazy stuff. Not, uh, I mean, how long has that been? Like a decade? Oh my god. Since gosh, you can say that I, more? I, at, least, maybe at least. That's kind of what yeah. I was thinking. Like somewhere I, maybe you could yeah, maybe you could say it in 2012, but like that was like even a blip then, right? Like before that, it's 98. And so, uh, so you know, the, I, I think that they really have that kind of talent. They actually led the Big 12 in preseason all Big 12 selections with six, which is just mind boggling, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. And and I think that, you know, the funny thing about it, right, there's going to be a lot made of Adrian Martinez coming in from Nebraska at quarterback. I think that this is just such a favorable situation for him because he's not going to be asked to do too much. I, I think that he's going to be able to kind of have a very structured offense. He's going to really get walked through reads, I think, in a big way. Uh, he's got some good talent on the outside. And, and I think that Deuce Vaughn is probably the best safety blanket in all of college football. So, so like, I just think that there's a lot of pieces there that give them a very high floor. Now, We'll have to wait and see what their ceiling is. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've been waiting for the day that that teams finally figure out how to stop Deuce Vaughn, and it just has never happened. So, uh, you know, I think that you look at their schedule, they've got a pretty favorable schedule as well. Uh, they have a chance, I think, to push for nine, 10 wins. And and I think that really, you mentioned the, the, the Texan Oklahoma schools, and, and I'm sure we'll get to them. You know, Oklahoma State, I think, will be right there at the end. And Kansas State, 
any combination of those five schools, I think, has a chance to make the Big 12 championship game and, and potentially win the Big 12. Well, it's tough to hear that uh, you, you're so high on Kansas State, knowing that uh, their new OC, Colin Klein, was, was somebody that I definitely remember covering up quite vividly he, back in wait, the day. Wait, 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 wait. He's their offensive coordinator? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, guys, I just, I both my feet just jumped in the grave. How old is Colin Klein now? Uh, he he's got to be one of if not if not the well probably not the uh, I, I think Charlie Weiss Jr. might even be to hold still hold the title of youngest OC uh, especially among the Power Five but he he's up there I, I, mean, I think Zach Kitley's like twenty eight yeah thirty he's, he's thirty two yeah okay and, yeah. It's, and it's been a fast ride for, rise for him though I, I mean he, you know you talk about a guy who came in in the program obviously more attached to the Bill Snyder era but came in kind of as that quality control offensive guy but but quickly moved up the ranks and and I think you know it, what, what are the expectations there in, in in the little apple in terms of uh whether he's you know kind of ready for this job or are they excited about this I mean is this something that you mentioned Deuce Vaughn maybe the most exciting one of the most exciting players in the country you know much less at, at Kansas State yeah how, how much are they kind of going into this season with a little bit of, of eyes wide open and saying, hey, this, this might be the year where everything just aligns. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're listening to this uh, this podcast, this extremely niche college football podcast, I hope that you've watched Deuce Vaughn before yes. because he is so much fun. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that the biggest thing that that they hope that he'll bring is, right, I mean, he's young eyes on the program. He's somebody who's played in a couple different types of schemes. He's coached in a couple different types of schemes. I think they want him to be dynamic. I, I think they want Colin Klein to bring a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, obviously they have it in, in the form of Deuce Vaughn, but I think they want to try to create it in other ways too right create a little bit more of a downfield passing game so much of their game and, and part of this has to do with some of Skylar Thompson's limitations but so much of it has been short passing game the past couple of years you know stuff within eight to 12 yards I, I think they're going to try to go downfield a little bit more I think they're going to try to create a little bit more space and you know that's one of the things that I love is that I think that this running game and this passing game is going to do such a great job of feeding off of each other and opening up the field in a way that I don't think we've seen at Kansas State in a very long time so uh, so I definitely expect them to be a little bit more dynamic you know obviously there's a little bit of a stereotype that the younger guys are going to be a little bit more dynamic like Colin Klein wasn't like the ultimate running quarterback but but I do think that, uh, <laughs> that that's sort of the hope is that he gets a little bit uh, makes things a little bit more dynamic in the passing game and and again if, if that happens and they're able to really open up things in the running game and they're able to really clamp down like they've done pretty well on the defensive side of the ball I mean a lot of things could go right for this program. This feels like it should be a culmination here. And actually, I'll, I'll mention too, right? Yeah. I, I did a Kansas State podcast this offseason. And uh, and one of the questions that was asked to me was, why is Matt Campbell thought of like this and Chris Kleiman not thought of like that, right? And the answer is that Matt Campbell has had his breakout moment, right? They, they finished first in the Big 12 back in 2020. They really had a chance to win that Big 12 title game. And they won a Fiesta Bowl at, at Iowa freaking State. And so now... You know, I think that this is the year where Kansas State needs to have that moment, too, because because that that 15 to 20 range for coaches, I think, is very much up for grabs right now. And I think that uh, if Chris Kleiman's able to come in and compete for a Big 12 title, have a chance to go to a New Year's six game, 
that's really sort of the, the kind of heights that we haven't seen from Kansas State really since 2012. And it's interesting. You mentioned also Zach Kitley there at, at Texas Tech, maybe one of the more fascinating programs, certainly under the radar nationally, but but it feels like big things are happening in Lubbock. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the leadership from the conference perspective from some of the administration, but you know, Joey McGuire's come in there and really kind of been a breath of fresh air. Um, they're adding you know $200 million worth of facilities in, in terms of renovations there. Uh, just signed a, a big NIL deal with, with across their entire uh, you know, uh, football team with uh, you know giving them twenty five thousand yeah. dollars. Women's, women's like- basketball too. I think that's the the single yeah. biggest uh, collective check to. A- not to, not to interrupt, but lots of money in West Texas flying around right now. Totally. Yes, yes, but but it feels like this is a team that is, is going under under the radar a little bit in terms of what they're bringing back, but but also kind of is primed for the future as well. Yeah, I mean, you guys are going to have to record a whole other podcast with me to get all into the Texas Tech stuff. But I, I think you know when when you look at Texas Tech right now. I think that there's an understanding that they can't mess up this moment. I think in a lot of ways, they messed up the moment back in 2012 uh, when we sort of had the last round of realignment and uh, you know, a new league, you know, even in terms of this just being a new big 12 is a huge opportunity for you to rewrite your narrative. And we saw that with Baylor who up until 2011, 2012 was a total afterthought and they obviously built into something different. You know, and we saw that the wrong direction, I think with Texas tech. And so now I think that they're really setting up for that moment in 2023, 2024, 2025, realignment after that. Uh, you see a lot of very rich people investing into that program. And they, they, they'd be quick, you know, they, they want to make sure that uh, that it's clear. It's not just oil people, also tech people, but okay, whatever. No big, no big difference to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of investment there right now. They understand some of the things that they're up against, but the biggest thing, right, is like if you're out in Lubbock, Texas, you need somebody who's going to be a cheerleader for that program. And they found him and Joey McGuire. Uh, obviously, on the recruiting trail, we've already seen a, a bunch of gains uh, for a little while. You know, they, they obviously take a lot of kids early, but they were number one in the country, which is something that they bragged a whole lot about, even if it was just for a moment. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and obviously they're fine. not going to finish top five. But like what you really have to do if you're Texas Tech is you have to try to keep up and maybe outstrip sometimes Baylor, TCU, and Houston. That's the goal, right? You just have to finish top 25-ish and try to beat some of those programs for a couple key recruits. And, and I think they have a chance to do that. And, and to, to get to them on the field for a second, their schedule sucks. Their schedule is hard as hell. They play Houston and NC State in the non-conference slate and then play like half of the Big 12's best teams in the first couple of weeks. Oof. So I really think they're going to probably start one and five. But the thing that I will say, they're going to be an agent for chaos, I think, this season. They get Baylor, Oklahoma and Texas all at home this year. Uh, and with a dynamic passing game that I expect to be coming under Zach Kitley, they've got a couple really interesting players at quarterback. Tyler Shuck is there right now, who obviously started for Oregon a couple years ago. Um, I, I think by the end of the year, we could see either Donovan Smith, who started the last couple games of last year and, and was really dynamic, or Baron Morton, who, who's their sort of prized top 150 recruit from a couple years ago. It wouldn't surprise me to see some of those guys come out. But they've had a great coaching staff, man. Zach Kitley, like you mentioned, was was the offensive coordinator for Bailey Zappi last year at Western Kentucky. He's actually coming home. He he's from Lubbock, played at Texas Tech. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they did a great job of taking advantage of some of the the layoffs and and Tim DeRuiter's yeah. over there, you know, former former Fresno State head coach. And so they, they've done, I think, a tremendous job of building a staff. Everybody's bought in there in a big way. So there's a lot of excitement around that program. Just don't 
look for it too hard before like October 15th. The the Big 12 coaching staffs right now are a just tremendous opportunity for guy remembering. Um, whether and, and I'm talking about guy remembering on both sides of the continuum. We're like Ted Roof's still coaching, and then Colin right. Klein is how right. old? Right? Like I mean, but good and bad. And of course, you know Ted Roof's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. It's not meant to be an insult. It's just like there's a name yeah. I haven't heard in a minute. Um, I want to ask one other question before we maybe address a little bit of the, the some of the proverbial elephant in the room. Um, I want to talk about Kansas football. I believe the ve- the common Vegas. Uh, over under right now for wins for the Jayhawks is two. I look at the schedule and I see Tennessee Tech, which is a not even particularly good FCS team, and I see a Duke team, which is probably going to be terrible. K- Kansas can win at least one, at least at least one game in this conference, right? They can beat the two win over under. Yeah, so so I think that I put out a, an article, basically you know hot takes for all intents and purposes uh, yeah. earlier in the spring. And I said that they have a chance to go for four. Like, I think that... Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Talk, talk, talk me so, through that. So there's going to be a lot of people talking about the Texas game, and I get why, right? Like, that's obviously the you know biggest moment in a couple of years for that program. But really watch the last three games. They gave TCU a scare, and they gave West Virginia a real scare. Yeah, they were good like, This November. is not just... Totally. And then obviously people watch that Oklahoma game as well in October. And like these were not flukes. These were not things that just happened. These were not balls bouncing the wrong way. Uh, You know, these were Kansas stepping up and playing pretty good football. And I think that for the first time in a while, there's been such a focus on roster building at the expense of football coaching. Right. Whereas now I think they've legitimately got a football coach in there, Lance Leipold, who's obviously won everywhere that he's been. Um, And I think that we're starting to see some of those results of guys just coming into a program, having a plan, understanding what they want to do. And and that's paying off, I think, in a big way. We we saw, especially once they switched to quarterback Jalen Daniels, who they brought to media day. So you'd assume that he's going to kind of be the entrenched starter. Uh, You know, he's a dynamic player. He fits really well within that system. He moves well. He has a super strong arm. Uh, You know, I, I think that he has a chance to be a good player for them. And they brought in a really good transfer class as well. The, the biggest thing that I'll say about it is that it is a, a true power five level transfer class, right? Like, and, and, and that sounds like a knock, but like, seriously, they're starting to look like an FBS team now, which they haven't for a couple of years. Now, there's still some things that they need to do better, right? Like, I think that they still need to, to pick it up on the recruiting trail in Kansas a little bit. Uh, but, you know, these are things that are as good signs, I think, that we've seen from them in a while. And remember, you know, when we talk about them finishing the season strong, they didn't have spring camp. They only hired Lance Leipold in May. Yeah. So this is a full year cycle. It's a full year of development. It's building a roster that's made to be in his image. Uh, you know, the biggest compliment that you can give their offensive line right now is that they got two guys from Buffalo from Lance Leipold's previous stop. So guys who know the system really well. So, you know, I, I think that they just really have a good idea of what they want to do on both sides of the ball. Now, there's going to be games where it just gets away from them, especially from a defensive perspective. They're not quite theirs yet. But, um, you know, Kenny Logan, somebody to know on that side of the ball, who I think is going to be an NFL player at safety. They added another power five starting safety. So, like, you know, they're going to have some guys, I think, on the defensive side of the ball to make things a little bit more complicated for teams. So I'm I'm all aboard the, the Kansas train. I think that they're going to give some teams a scare. Ask me to pick which game they're going to win in the Big 12, and I can't point to one. But I think they're going to find a way for sure uh, to win one of those games. Well, one of those teams that uh, has typically given them a, a bit of a kind of a boogeyman or, or 
they've given them trouble is, is TCU in the, in the past. It's it is weird seeing Gary Patterson in that burnt orange of, of Texas now that he's moved on. Uh, you know, you're telling me Sonny Dykes, you know, flipping flipping sides in the Iron Skillet rivalry. What, what what is the expectations you know surrounding the Horn Frogs? Because I, I know that they're in your backyard, but it's like. Yes, they brought in somebody that understands the program. He he was uh, you know off the field assistant there. He's known for his offense. That's always been a big issue there for, for the Horn Frogs these last couple of years. Is Sonny the the right hire to kind of keep elevating TCU back into uh, a more consistent, not just bowl team, but a more consistent double digit digit win team? Totally. I, I think that the funniest thing that you can say about Sonny Dykes is that he's literally the opposite person of Gary Patterson. And I know he respects Gary a lot, but uh, just everything he does is is completely different, right? He's all about player empowerment. He's all about media access. He's all about communicating. He's all about, you know, he's just very transparent as a person. And I think that we've already started to see some benefits from that on the recruiting trail. I think that uh, we already see some players like Quentin Johnston starting to get a little more attention, uh, like they should, in my opinion. They've had some great players come through Fort Worth the past couple of years. And, you know, it's funny. This is definitely one of the more enigmatic teams, I guess you'd say, that uh, in the Big 12, because they had so many issues last year, but they were also coached in such a bizarre way by the end of the year that it's hard to know what to take from that. You know, I, I've, I've kind of joked with uh, with some of my TCU friends before. Like, it feels like, it feels like their offense has been like reverse engineered. They're like, what if we could do this? Oh, well, maybe we'd have to do that to do this. And like, there was no plan, right? Like it was always built on like, here's what we don't want to do and try to do something else. And now they have Garrett Riley coming in at offensive coordinator from SMU. I, I think they have a really bright young uh, defensive coordinator and Joe Gillespie, who who comes from Tulsa, has developed a whole lot of great talents over there. Uh I think they've just got a really solid coaching staff and they've got a lot of talent on that roster. I don't think that's going to be the issue in year one. So I I think that this year might be a little bit of a feeling out process as they just try to get things kind of built in their image a little bit, right? They they were recruited to to play in this four, two, five defense and they were recruited to do some of these things that, that Gary Patterson wanted his offense to do. It's going to take, I think a little bit for them to get the wide receiver depth where they want it to be. I think that they want to recruit a specific type of lineman, but, uh, but I do think that they're going to show some good signs early. I expect them to go back to a bowl game this year uh, and probably by 2020, 23 we'll start to see a little bit more of the vision when it comes to Sonny Dyke's team. I don't think we can really over be, be over dramatic about how different culturally the, the shift between these two coaching staffs are. I mean, I recognize this isn't something that that fans care a whole lot about. This audience might care more about it, but like I have had more conversations with the TCU football um SID department in the last two months than I had the last eight years in my career. Uh, I have I have I have found that communication is, is is very different. People throughout the school are much more willing to talk. And as I've talked to uh, other staffers in that department, the idea that the, the the thing we keep hearing back again and again is this is a much more player led everything and community centered everything that we've had before. It doesn't necessarily translate into wins, but a, a very significant shift beyond just offensive philosophy it would appear. Yeah, yeah, and and all this is a story that might only be interesting to listeners for the Going for Two show. So I'm glad that uh, that this is the place. So for people who don't know, so uh, the way that Gary Patterson used to hold media availability every week is they would have the coaches press conference, which you know Gary would go off for whatever, and he'd you know talk about whatever. Um, and also he if he didn't want to talk about something that he would you know yeah, that's just Gary. Sure. Uh, his player access 
Well, okay. First of all, his assistant coach's access was nothing. You never got to talk to anybody ever at any point, except for the one time he threw Sonny Cumbie under the bus and sent him out after they lost the SMU game, which was an experience. But uh, the, the only way that they do player access is they give you one offensive player and one defensive player. They one goes to like the cameras at the front of the room to do local TV. The other goes to the back to do like reporter, like a like a written stuff. Yep. And then they flip. You don't get to choose which players are coming. You don't get to get any notice in advance. You can't request players outside in any sort of capacity. So like when they were bad, it was like, here's our backup offensive guard. And here's our second string cornerback. And that's all you get for the whole week. And Hope you're interested in writing about us. So nobody in the Metroplex has covered them for like 10 years at this point. So it's going to be a huge difference just from a media coverage perspective. Because I live I, I live in Irving, just like 20, 30 minutes from, from TCU. I haven't gone to a TCU availability since, well, I guess Gary was fired, right? And so... Yeah. Um, so it's it i could be there almost every week now i'm not going to go every week as like a national reporter but it's it just they make it so difficult for it to be worth your time and already they're like pitching me to come right like they're telling me like here's what we can show you here's who you can talk to and it, it's just you know and, and media access and everything obviously you know we're, we're media people so we appreciate that yeah. but i do think that it limits the way that you're able to tell the story of your program when you always keep it closed off. Especially now, and it, it, I think it's kind of ironic because uh, Patterson was aware of this near the end, but you need to be, I mean, people are pitching NIL marketability and a brand isn't right. going to be able to get to know your running back if we don't get to know your running back. And if your running back doesn't get to talk to people or perhaps more importantly, learn how to talk to people, which requires practice. You're in a huge football-centric market, but God knows there's a bunch of other things going on in the Metroplex. So you you can't just expect people to come to you. Um, That would be a very uh, arrogant, world-revolves-around-us attitude that you might find with Texas, which is the program we haven't talked a little bit about here. Um, A ton of attrition with, with this program, ton of newcomers bringing in a new offensive line, um, I, we understand that rebuilds don't happen instantaneously, but I don't think I'm being too hard here to say Texas should never like miss a bowl game. They shouldn't be as bad as they were last season. And even with another five-star quarterback and some uh, a, a bunch of, of big-time recruits, is this a team that's re- like that's like legitimately able to? Do you think could, could compete for a league title this year, or is this still very clearly a? seven and five, eight and four kind of team building towards something else? It's a good question. So I probably lean a little bit closer to the eight and four, but the reality is expectations are they have to make the big tool title game, right? Like it, it would be a disappointment in Austin for them to not make the Big 12 title game. Uh, you mentioned that they bring in Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Quinn Ewers is one of the best quarterback recruits I've ever seen in my life. Like I, I got to see him play in 2020 against Cade, uh, Cade Klubnik, who ended up being the 20, the number one uh, quarterback, of the 2022 class in the state championship game, uh, which, you know, already feels like a historic type game, you know, that we'll look back on in a couple of years. But like Quinn Ewers looked like a completely different person than Kate Klubnik. He looked like an NFL quarterback out there. Yeah. And so he's special that that's not going to be the problem necessarily, but 
you know, I don't think they did as much work on the offensive line for from an immediate perspective uh, as I think they needed to do. I think they probably needed to bring in a transfer to most of the guys they brought in were young guys. And and some of those guys are probably going to have a chance to play, but they're still young guys. We saw that with Tex A&M last year, that, that even when you have a lot of talent, it doesn't necessarily pay off right away. And defensively, they did very little to try kind of address some of their biggest issues. So it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, to figure out whether internal improvement is going to be enough to carry the day uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And for me, like if they have, I, I think that they should have with the talent that they brought in, they should have the number one offense in the conference. If they have the number one offense in the conference and their defense starts to show some signs and they win eight or nine games, that to me is success. Yeah. I, I don't think that people in Austin are going to feel that way. Are, are we definitely on transfer quarterback watch at, at Texas? I mean, if you bring in, what, two, three very high four-star level guys, can't play them all, and boy, there's a whole lot of money tied up to one of those guys that you're going to, there's going to be a, a heavy expectation to play pretty soon. Yeah, so they they have uh, so the two guys competing for the job right now are Quinn Ewers, who I expect to win the job, and Hudson Card, who played a lot for them last year. He's an Austin kid, was also a top fifty recruit coming out of school. I expect that if he loses the job, maybe not right now, but by the end of the season, I think he'll probably be gone. They brought in another guy who started out a little bit higher and fell in the recruiting process, a little named Malik Murphy from California yeah. in the twenty twenty two class. So you know, it's it's obviously hard to know with somebody like that. Uh, there's been a lot of talk that that Arch Manning, you know, oh well, he'll come in and push Ewers out of the job, and Ewers will transfer. No, Ewers is really good. I, I I feel like we need to like remember that he was also the number one recruit in the country coming out. Like I I don't know this assumption that that Arch thinks he's going to come in and push Ewers out of a job. I don't think that that's the Manning family's assumption of what's going to happen because they only have one year of overlap if Quinn does hit, and then I think it's one year and then off to the league. So uh, so there is definitely going to be some transfer. I, I think that that's just part of, of recruiting quarterbacks, yeah. the way that Steve Sarkeesian is going to with that offense. And, you know, it's, it's like Ohio State. It's like Alabama. You just kind of roll with the punches and find your guy. And, and luckily they have they, they have some fallbacks where they can turn the ball and hand it off to Bijan Robinson. They can throw it to, to Xavier Worthy down down the field. I mean, it, like th- there's no shortage of skill position talent. That, that has never been the issue at Texas. Uh, I do want to kind of go back there with, with, with the defense. I, I mean, tangibly, how much better do they really have to kind of show uh, to kind of compliment them? Because this is obviously a program that's not necessarily building just for this year. This is something that they want to continue to build success to where they're consistently not only winning the Big 12, but going into the SEC with some momentum right yeah i'm gonna be curious because when you play against baylor when you play against oklahoma state when you play against kansas state some of the better teams in this league those are three teams with great defensive lines and if you aren't very good on the offensive line and a lot of guys are running for their lives that's going to make things a lot tougher. And I think that this is where you need to start to see some improvement. You know, they hired Pete Kwiatkowski last year, who was one of the key guys on Washington staff under Chris Peterson. And I, I kind of thought it was going to work like from the start. And, and it really hasn't, you know, personnel has been a, an issue with them. Yeah. The other thing with them too, is just, they have not been a tough team at all. I, I know that sometimes a lot gets made of that, but like, when you can't defend the run because you're getting run over, that, that's just toughness. It's not talent. It's not scheme. It's not skill. And, and it's a hard thing to just build toughness from the ground up. Now, they have some guys that I that I think I'm pretty excited about, uh, you know, on the defensive line. You know, Alfred Collins is somebody who showed a whole lot for them, I think, the past couple of years. 
I'm really worried about their play at linebacker. Like their linebacker depth is not good. They were they were starting a, a walk on Luke Brockermeyer uh, last year for a lot of the year at linebacker, which at the University of Texas, like God bless Luke Brockermeyer, but you shouldn't be starting a walk on at linebacker. Uh, you know, in the in the, the secondary, it was so hit or miss. Like I I just don't know exactly what to expect from this team. They lost some key guys too, uh, from from the secondary especially. So they have to be you know pushing towards being a league average unit they, they don't have to be great they don't have to finish as a top you know a top three unit in the league or anything like that but they can't finish ninth or tenth or eighth or something like that if they're going to compete for that top spot because the reality is especially if you struggle to defend the run which they really did last year i mean baylor's going to run all over you oklahoma's going to run all over you kansas state i mean my goodness deuce vaughn's going to run all over you and so Andrew martinez will run get... over you yeah like i've, I've seen totally. him in the open field he's a scary guy totally you know, I mean, again, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're up to date on this. But like the Big 12 is not an air raid league anymore. Right. This is a physical pounded out kind of league. And uh, and that really, I think, went back on Texas last year. I think that Texas in a lot of ways and Steve Sarkeesian and maybe Pete Kwiatkowski, too weren't ready for what this league actually looks like. You know, maybe they were going a little too much off reputation that that it was going to be a passing league. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they need to get a lot more solid up front. I think they need to get a lot more physical. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, they just have to be able to get a few stops because this should be one of the best offenses in college football if things hit. But it, it's just going to be, you know, last year we saw it down the stretch. It was like once that offensive line started getting worn out every game, everything kind of fell apart and they lost, you know, I think it was five of their seven losses. Uh, they had a halftime leads and they ended up blowing them. So yeah. this isn't a team that's that far away from being, being pretty good, but it's just, if you haven't solved some of these issues, is it going to get better? Let me ask you about something real quick away from this season as we kind of wrap up this conversation. The other you know, major storyline surrounding the big 12, of course, has nothing to do with this, this football season. Let me put you on the spot. What's the league member? What does this league's membership look like? To, you think in three years? Do you think it includes Pac-12 teams? Does it include San Diego State or Boise, or are we sticking with who's currently coming into the boat? Yeah, I wish that uh, I wish that you had uh, made that one year because I feel a lot more confident <laughs> about uh, about next yeah. year than, next year, than maybe I, by next year. I think I, I know I know too, but you know <laughs> things change. So so yeah, to 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 go big picture for a second because I think all these forces are connected. Yeah. Um, I think that that 2026 is going to be a key date when it comes to realignment, because I think it's going to show us long term what access to the playoff looks like. If there's access to the playoff from outside the Big Ten or SEC, I think Notre Dame is going to be able to stay independent, which I think they want to do. And if that's the case, if there is that permanent type access, I don't know that there's the same kind of rush to try to fill spots, right? So so let's just say hypothetically that, that that's the case, that there is sort of access, Notre Dame decides to stay independent. I think it could just be these 12 teams uh, that, that are planning to come into the league. Now the question becomes, because if, if, uh, if Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, then I think there's a spot for either Washington or Oregon, maybe Stanford or Cal get involved. Uh, and then the Pac-12 is dead and those the the four sort of four corner schools with, with Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State. I think they come to the Big 12. But if Washington and Oregon look to stay around, uh, we, the word that we heard from Pac-12 Media Days a little from some reporting was probably a five to six year type contract that would take them through about the end of the 2020s. I think it could stick around until then. I, I do think that we could wait uh, to see some of this firm movement until then. Now, 
the thing that I've said uh, it, it also is that I have that 2036 date scheduled when the ACC contracts up. Cause when that's up, I think, I think that's like the giant explosion of college football, right? I think that that is the like, okay, well, who's going where, who's going where Notre Dame has to join a conference. Everybody has to find some place. Everybody has to find a, a point. But I think that as long as the ACC is still locked in, which I think that we obviously anticipate that will be until 2020, uh, 2036, uh, I think that everybody else is going to bide a little bit more time at the top than than what we've seen the past couple of weeks and months and years. Uh, I expect that the Pac-12 will probably add one or two teams. You'd imagine if it's two teams, it would be San Diego State and Boise State. But I think that... I think three years from now, we probably are in a little bit more of a stalemate. So we end up with a pretty even Big 12, Pac-12 ACC. You you were at uh, Big 12 Media Day, where, which was kind of the, the rollout for the new commissioner in, in Brett Yormark. What, what is the temperature in the league uh, about some about him? Just because, you know, I, I, I got the sense when he was initially announced, there was definitely a lot of Googling, even among some of the athletic directors who maybe had never even heard of him. But uh, I mean, he's, he's very much, uh, you know, coming from New York, he's, he's not necessarily the cultural fit you would think, but he is a, a bit of a breath of fresh air. And uh, as we saw with, with George Klyovkov, he is being aggressive, you know, in, in terms of making sure that the, the big 12 is out there. What has been the reaction to him, you know, around the league and, and ultimately where is he going to try to take the big 12 these next couple of years? Yeah, like, like I mentioned a bit earlier, you know, I think there's been a, a lot of buy-in right from the top, uh, bring in somebody like like Brett Yormark. You know, he he obviously comes from the business world. I, I think that the biggest thing for them, and he was very clear about this off the top, is my first job, my foremost job, my only job in some ways, is to get that payout up uh, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to a new television contract in 2025. Obviously, that's the the dominant force in college football right now is those television contracts. And so I think that he seems like somebody who is very forward. I think that, you know, talking to some other people who maybe didn't think uh, quite as favorably about him at Pac-12 Media Days, all right? I mean, I think that he is checking out everything. He's doing his due diligence. He's seeing what might be available to them. Um, you know, and, and I think that we've seen some of that nice sort of stuff from George Klievkov in his first year as well. You know, sort of this idea that whatever we can do to increase revenue, whatever we can do to make the league as stable as possible, whatever we can do to create uh, content and programming that's really going to benefit our league financially is stuff that we're willing to do. I, I think that you get some of that vibe from Brett Yormark as well. Obviously, he has deep connections in New York from, from you know, 20 years working there for the Brooklyn and New Jersey Nets. Uh, and I think that we're going to see some of that come to fruition with licensing. We've already, I mean, you know, these are minor deals, but like we've already seen like the Big 12s announced that they have like a watch partnership and they have, you know, like they, they've already started to try to to add up some of these small deals uh, to, to try to add revenue to the league. So it, it's going to be interesting, again, as we head into the next couple of years, how the league continues to brand itself. But I do think that they are going to try to brand themselves in some ways as the accessible league, as the great football league, as sort of the fun league. Like, I, I think that all these things are going to tie in. And, you know, the, 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 the real interesting thing is going to be in these next couple of years as the Pac-12 and Big 12 come up at the same time. You know, it, it's going to be so interesting to see because in the Big 12, you've got these engaged football brands and the Pac-12, you have these big markets, how those uh, negotiations kind of face off against each other. But I think that Brett Yormark is is probably best positioned out of anybody that could have joined to uh, to kind of come in and, and make that case of the value of the Big 12. And, um, and I think that, look, you know, now out of the five commissioners, three of them are from outside of college athletics. The other one of the others is Greg Sankey, who obviously is the most powerful man in the room. 
And the other is Jim Phillips, who already seems a little behind the time. So I, I think that going outside of the league and going outside of college athletics, uh, when you are a league that's trying to find your path forward, uh, I, I think it made a lot of sense. And I think that a lot of people like the hire. Uh, it's funny to me, you know, hearing about this idea of trying to rebrand the Big 12 as hip and young and cool. And I say this with deep love in my heart. There's a lot of things you can use to describe my co-religionists at BYU. Cool and hip are not those things, right? I, I, I say I, what, what, the, the historic Big Eights isn't uh, isn't doing it for I, you. Listen, there's, <laughs> I, Kansas State is cool. Is, is there's there's things to like about it, and there's things to like about Iowa State. There's things to like about Baylor. I'm a degenerate sicko for college for like like Reddit college football person. My view of cool and Madison Avenue's view of cool, or you know what Oregon Ducks cool was, is not how I would generally think about a lot of these schools or markets, even the new coming ones, incoming ones. But what do I know? I'm just a doofus with the keyboard. You know, maybe, maybe there's something else going on here. Um, thank you so much for taking some time to to really get into the weeds with us about everything. Uh, on the off chance that our readers have lost track of where to best find your stuff right now, because you're doing a couple of different projects this season. Where can we uh, make sure that we're, we're getting everything from you? Yeah, we can find all of my stuff on my Twitter account at Shahan J. Araja. Uh, all, my, all my writing you can find at cbssports.com. And you can also follow us. Uh, I, I do a podcast called The College Football Survivor Show. It's like a very hyper-niche, hyper-focused playoff show. Don't worry, we don't just talk about Alabama. We talk about all the forces that also have to do with the college football playoffs. So you can follow us on Twitter there at CFB Survivor Show as well. Outstanding. Thank, thank you so much for everything. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Looking forward to reading you more this season. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, I do want to make sure that we took some time to talk about our dear friends at Home Field Apparel, makers of consistently excellent and comfortable uh, collegiate apparel that's licensed with vintage designs. I just had a box come in yesterday from Home Field. My wife got uh, a Northwestern tank top. I got a Northwestern shirt. I, got a, I finally bought the Nebraska Bug Eater shirt. Uh, which is uh, outstanding. Uh, I'm wearing uh, a, a regular favorite here of mine. This is my old BYU baseball shirt with the cougar that looks like he should be smo- uh, you know, smoking future a cigar. Future Big 12 member, of course. Future, exactly. That was the real reason I wore it, and not just because it was white and clean. I'll, um, I'll go with a current Big 12 uh, member here with the, the, current, uh, the old current, Pistol current, Pete current, here. Big, old Pistol Pete. We have almost everybody else in the Big 12 uh, as part of the home field family, there were some absolutely excellent Kansas State and TCU uh, things that, that dropped earlier. We have, uh, I believe they have Kansas. They do have Kansas. Um, if you want, you know, a, a animals. The, the, the Kansas one's great because it's got the, you had the, the couple of the Jayhawks that looked like they were drawn in MS Paint. And you have one that prominently features wheat, which I think should be a part of their Big Ten application should they ever decide to go down that road again. Just have everybody wearing those shirts. Uh, they're stupid. And I say that with love. This is not a pejorative saying, some of these shirts look like they're made in MS Paint. They're kind of stupid. This is me saying, guys, these shirts look like they're made in MS Paint. They're stupid. They're wonderful. Go buy some. Because not only are they, are they funny, not only are they great conversation starters and show that you, the consumer, are a dignified, refined uh, consumer of college athletic content, they're also super comfortable, um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I'll go ahead and say it, flattering as well. Uh, so, if you want to make sure that you join the group here, uh, the uh, big new Saturday school dropping this week is, of course, OSU, um, Oregon State, 
so we got some goofy cartoon beavers, which are always a thing you want to put on your body. Uh, you can use promo code extra points to save 15% off of your order. That's promo code extra points at homefieldapparel.com. Um, I am excited to watch some Big 12 football. And not just because it's football, but there are some, I think, well-scheduled, evenly matched out-of-conference matchups to begin this season, both at the very high end. You know, you had the great Alabama-Texas helmet game. We talked about this in the last episode. I think Alabama's going to kill them. Still, I'm still going to watch. Um, you have uh, some more well-balanced helmet games like Kansas-Duke. But, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of these other ones, you're bringing in Missouri. You're bringing in uh, uh, Arizona State for, for something. Houston's playing a couple of these teams. They should be fun. They should be fun contrasting styles. And the styles make fights kind of out-of-conference games, I think, in the early season make really compelling television. So I, I, I can't wait to see how this, this kind of shifts out on the field. There's, of course, off the field with whoever ends up actually being in this league and what this league means in a year and a half. And I'm kind of curious, too, is just to see how the, the crossover is going to be between the kind of current Big 12 membership and, and the future Big 12 membership is kind of going to play out this season. You know, there are um, you know, certainly some opportunities for, for traditional Big 12 fans to, to catch a UCF game, maybe a little bit uh, – Put some some closer eyes on that those type of games. Cincinnati, you know, playing teams like Arkansas, you know, like it, it's going to be some unique uh, games this year. And, and I, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, just from top to bottom, you know, one of the more parity driven leagues uh, I think you're going to find in college football this year, which can produce some some crazy results. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that there will be a college football contender, uh, college football playoff contender coming out of the Big 12, but. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to like and, and a lot of good football that is, is set to be played uh, in, in the league. And that's going to make for, for a fun trip uh, down memory lane for, for a few schools as they are, are about to get kick some others out and uh, welcome some some others in. But I, I think it's going to be a very unique season for the Big 12. We're just going to put this out here right now. The uh, second to last game of the Jayhawks season, their home finale in late November, hosting the Texas Longhorns. Um, in case you've forgotten... Texas has lost to Kansas now multiple times in American football. I'm not saying that's going to happen then. Not not saying it's going to happen then. Saying you should you should be aware that this is happening. Folks, thanks again for taking some time here with us. We've got a couple other conference previews with some exciting guests lined up in the very near future. So keep refreshing your subscription. If you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, YouTube, your microwave oven, wherever the hell you're getting podcasts, make sure that you have it configured to keep getting them. And uh, hit us up. I'm at Matt at Extra Points MB. I'm at Matt e, Matt Brown EP on Twitter. He's Brian D. Fisher. Not Brian Fisher. That's a very different dude who has very different opinions from this Brian Fisher. If he's not talking about football, you don't want him. Uh, or NCAA bylaws. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't want, you don't want that guy. Um, we appreciate your, your listening, and we'll catch up with you again very soon.